Welcome to the Business of Family. I'm your host, Mike Boyd, and this is my look into the world of multi-generational wealth creation, family enterprise, stewardship, family office investing, and the curation of a legacy. On the podcast, I interview members of some of the world's most interesting families to hear how they pass knowledge, resources, values, and wealth to the next generation. I hope you will enjoy sharing this learning journey with me and would greatly appreciate any feedback or referrals you have to offer. To sign up to my weekly Business of Family newsletter, go to businessoffamily.net forward slash newsletter. Grossman Marketing Group was founded as Massachusetts Envelope Company in 1910 by Maxwell Grossman, whose lifelong dream was to own his own business. Now, 111 years since its founding, Ben Grossman, along with his brother David, are the fourth generation of family leadership. Today, the company is a full-service resource, helping clients with a broad range of traditional and digital marketing needs. This is a broad-ranging and fascinating discussion, and I particularly love the emphasis on service both within the business and to the community. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ben Grossman. Ben, thank you so much for being here. It is fantastic to have you with us this week. Mike, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. You have a fantastic fourth generation business story to tell. Can we go all the way back to the beginning, please, and understand how the business was founded and where it began? I believe in 1910, was it? That's right. So my great-grandfather, Maxwell Grossman, he was the second youngest of nine children. He was an immigrant from Eastern Europe, and he came over from Eastern Europe in the turn of the 20th century. He left school at an early age to help support his family, like a lot of, like a lot of immigrants did at the time. And he first worked as shining shoes on the East Boston ferry docks. And then he got a job as a delivery boy for an envelope company in Boston. And he started doing some selling for them. And he realized that he had some talent at sales. And he convinced a supplier to give him some credit. And as a teenager, he started Massachusetts Envelope Company in 1910. How does it go from there? I mean, an envelope company in 1910, um, and here we are well over 100 years later. What were some of the key milestones or, or key evolutions of the business as other generations ultimately joined it and it scaled into what it is today? Sure. So thankfully, we have evolved. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be in business anymore. His two sons, Jerry, who is my great uncle, and Edgar, who was my grandfather, joined Max in the business in the mid to late 1930s. And for the first 50 to 60 years of the business's existence, it was an envelope printing and distribution company in Massachusetts and the surrounding area. When And it was a successful business. Uh, it survived the Great Depression. It survived World War II. And it evolved with the times. And the company was always built on service. And they had a saying back then. It said, our prices make friends and our service keeps them. And from the beginning, the company's been a service-driven culture. And that's, that's really what's kept the business going and what's gotten us to today. And we still try to stay true to that 
message of having a service-driven culture. Our, my dad, Steve, joined the business in the late 60s out of Harvard Business School, uh, spent a few years at the business, felt like it was a little crowded at the time. Uh, his, some of his, co- uh, his cousins were in the business, and he felt like he needed to get some outside experience. He left the business and went to Goldman Sachs and trained under people like Bob Rubin and other luminaries at the firm and spent several years there, rose to vice president, and he had an opportunity in the mid-1970s to come back to the business and buy his great uncle, sorry, his uncle, my great uncle Jerry, out because Jerry wanted to move into full-time public service. So my dad came back in 1975 as 50-50 partners with with his father, my grandfather. And they oversaw a period of pretty rapid expansion. They acquired a number of companies in uh, Connecticut to expand into the New York area. They started buying other related businesses, uh, forms businesses and commercial printing businesses, and then eventually a graphic design agency to try to print all the items that went inside the envelope and then design the entire package. Uh, and then by that point, in the early 2000s, my, my brother, uh, David, older brother David, had joined the business, and the business decided to invest in promotional products, branded merchandise. And that's really what's unleashed the vast majority of our growth to today. But it's been a natural evolution, listening to our customers, understanding what they want from the business, what their pain points are, how mass envelope and now gross and marketing could address those pain points by offering them service, quality, value um, at all times. And that's sort of how the business has evolved from its envelope origins to more of an integrated marketing uh, services and e-commerce uh, business today. I love hearing those those evolutions. One thing I want to touch on there or follow up on was the ownership change with your great uncle, Jerry. You mentioned that your father originally left because it felt a bit crowded and there was cousins and, and other family members involved in the business. Is it safe to assume that those cousins were uh, Jerry's children? And so when he was bought out, did that sort of arm of the family ultimately no longer work in the business and, it, and that streamlined the family business? That's exactly right. So at this stage, it was third generation and the ownership structure was my grandfather, Edgar, and my father, Steve. And then ultimately, it's, it's come down through Steve's line of the business to me and my brother, David. So I'd love to hear more about how yourself and David joined the business. Was that a predetermined path? Or did you go and explore other options first in terms of uh, career opportunities? How did you find your way back? Or how did each of you find your way back into the business? Sure. So David went to Princeton worked in marketing and development in New York City. And in 2000, uh, during the tech bubble, he was working for a tech startup in New York City. And my dad called him and said, David, what would you, what do you think about joining the business? And my brother said, what, what business are you talking about? And he said, no, come on, like the business, our business. And my brother said, I really haven't given it any thought. And he said, well, you know, maybe you could think about it and consider it. My brother 
was, I believe, engaged at the time or about to be engaged. And he talked it over with his now wife, Mary Jo. They decided to uh, take a trip up to Boston and give it a shot. And that was 20 years ago. I believe my brother joined in 2000, 2001. And he's been in the business ever since. I took a slightly different path. So I, I also went to Princeton. I worked in strategy consulting in New York City. And then I went to business school at Columbia. And while I was at Columbia, I was really interested in exposing myself to fields that I have, I have some passion for, investment management, venture capital, startups. I did an internship for a, a venture capital firm in New York. I did my summer internship. I was a summer associate at Goldman Sachs. I was lucky enough to get an offer to go back full time. I explored some other startup projects as well. But ultimately, I was most passionate about joining our business, which at the time was 95, 96 years old. The company was going through a period of rapid change. The industry was evolving quite a bit. And I thought that joining the business and coming to work with my dad and my brother, and then of, and of course, other family members as well. My grandmother, Shirley, has remained involved in the business even to this day. And my two aunts, Mary Ellen and Amy, are also involved in the business. I was really excited about the prospect of being the second member of the fourth generation to join the business uh, with the goal of playing a leadership role in the, in the company. And so I joined the business in 2006, and I'll just be marking my 15-year anniversary at the company later this spring. That's fantastic. It's quite a story. And one thing that stands out for me there is the, the world-class education that you've all had. I'm, I'm hearing Harvard, Princeton, Columbia, opportunities at Goldman and, and others. Was that very intentional? Was that something that the family set out to achieve and, and held in high regard? Was education a big focus or a value of the family? Absolutely. I mean, my dad has recounted several times when he was in high school, the last time he saw his grandfather, Max, so the founder of the company, the last time he saw his grandfather alive was his senior year in high school. They were having lunch. This was in the winter of 1963. He died uh, that June. And he said to my dad something to the effect of, Stephen, there were only four things I ever wanted to do with my life. I wanted to have a healthy family, educate my children, own my own business, and give something back to the community. And my dad has remarked on that conversation that that was really the most important conversation he ever had in his life, because what he was really saying uh, was that life was made up of three things, family, career, and community. And education has always been of critical importance to our family. Our gr great-grandfather was not an educated man. I mentioned that he left school at an early age to help support his family. He was the second youngest of nine children. But the rest of our family, we've been incredibly fortunate to have had incredible educations and being, been given every opportunity to explore different paths. But ultimately, the path that my brother and I were most interested in was uh, joining the company. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that because uh, there's a similar story about education in my own family. And it, was, it, it all starts with someone who didn't have it and, and set out wanting it for their children and grandchildren. And, and I think that's really how true generational wealth or true, true generational values in education is, um, is created. So I enjoy conversations like that. Tell me about joining the business. Your, your older brother was already in there for four or five years by the sounds of it when you came along. 
and you've been there for 15 years. You've both no doubt worked your way up over that period of time. How do you get along as brothers working in the family business, both fourth gen? And is your father still involved? What roles do you each play today? Sure. So our father, although he uh, retains an ownership stake in the business, he moved on from the business a little bit more than 10 years ago. So we've had a really a four-generation involvement in our family with public service and political activism. Uh, our father uh, ran for, in, in 2010, he ran for state treasurer of Massachusetts and was elected and was sworn in in January of 2011. And so he moved on from the business in 2011 and he served a term as treasurer, ran unsuccessfully for governor in 2014, and he partnered with Michael Porter from Harvard Business School to build out a national nonprofit initiative for competitive inner city, which is focused on helping inner city entrepreneurs get access to management training and capital. For me and my brother, uh, we're in the business together, the two of us, and we have worked our way up in different ways. But ultimately, it's really important to us that our interests are aligned uh, and that you know, the there, there really is not any sibling rivalry. You know, for us, we want the same things. Uh, David and I want to grow the business. We want to have work-life balance. You know, when David achieves success, I don't feel smaller for his success. I feel bigger. It makes me feel incredibly happy because it's a win for our enterprise. It's a win for us. And likewise, when I have a win, it makes David feel great. You know, we never feel smaller from the other from the other sibling's success. We feel good about it. Uh, some people have a hard time believing that. But if you met us, you'd, you'd understand. We're very different people. My brother oversees more of the creative elements of our business. I oversee more of kind of the strategic, analytical uh, elements of our business, M&A, strategic investments, et cetera. We both ultimately have our hands in business development and sales because it's a sales-driven culture. But uh, we, we focus on different things and complement each other really well. That's fantastic. So would you say that you are always naturally different in that you have complementary skill sets and work well together in the business? Or is that something that you've chosen to cultivate in order to add the right value in the way the business needs it? Sure. David is, is naturally more kind of touchy-feely, more kind of operates from the gut. And I, I think things through maybe a little too much and a little bit more analytical, but it works out really well. I mean, we do, we do balance each other out, but yeah, I think we've always been different. I mean, my, my brother uh, and I, uh, we, we look different, we speak differently, but our values are the same. You know, we, we care about our family. We care about, you know, building a good business. We care about having, you know, having our colleagues backs and building a, you know, building an environment where people feel comfortable, where people feel safe, where people feel respected, and where people feel like they can be their best selves. And so, although we are different in many ways, we share the same values, and that has enabled us to have such a strong uh, business partnership. And how about when you ultimately joined the business as the owner's son or as the, the leader's son? Did you feel like you had to come in and prove yourself? Did you have to win hearts and minds in terms of other employees in the business and uh, show them the way that you could add value to the business? A great question. Absolutely. So I actually did a project 
in the sec- in the spring semester of my second year in business school. The class, it was taught by a professor, Frank Flynn, who's, I believe, now at Stanford. And it, the class was called Power and Influence. And the project, the final project, we were tasked with interviewing people in organizations that we were going into to learn how we could build strong relationships and build influence in, in those organizations. So for folks who were going into investment banking at JP Morgan, they were supposed to interview alumni who went to JP Morgan and understand the organization and, and how it worked and what were best practices to build relationships there. For me, I actually, for my project, I interviewed my brother, David, and I interviewed several other alums of the business school and who went into their family businesses. And one of the key lessons I learned, even though I think my goal was to focus a little more on corporate strategy, you know, I had done some of that in other jobs that I'd had before. One of the lessons that I was given by someone was find a way to generate revenue as soon as possible because, you know, numbers speak for themselves and no one will ever question your existence at the organization if you generate sales and gross profit. You know, the, the folks on the sales force won't question your existence. But, you know, just as importantly, uh, the folks in, inside the organization will see that, that you are working hard and g- generating sales, generating gross profit, which is what is required to, you know, cover expenses. And that alum who I spoke with said that if you do that, people will see that you're working to protect their jobs. And, you know, that as much as anything will help you establish your credibility early on. So what I did when I joined the business, I I came to the business with a list of prospects uh, that I thought I could reach out to uh, from my various networks. And I was fortunate to pretty much in the first month start generating sales. And I've always been proud of the fact that I've never cost the company a penny from the day I walked in the door. That's fantastic. And so has anybody questioned your existence? I think that's an interesting phrase. As you came in and proved yourself so early, did that then allow it to be an easier on-ramp into the family business and and working with other colleagues that had perhaps been there for many years prior to your joining? So, of course, people knew me. Uh, There were a number of people in the organization who had been there since I was a child might have even been there since before I was born. So they remembered me as, as a child. And I prioritized early on learning the business cold. Someone else I spoke with gave me some advice, said, learn the business, understand exactly what's going on in the business. So when you speak up, you know what, you know what you're talking about and you're right. Because it would be easy to be kind of written off as you know, the owner's son, with the education, who comes in thinking he knows what he's talking about when he really doesn't. And so I tried my very best to uh, learn the business cold and establish my credibility uh, through knowledge. You know, I, I, a book I uh, bought and uh, read before I started, there's a book called The First 90 Days, and it was about getting into a, a job and, you know, best practices on to achieve early success. And Again, it just came down to basic kind of fundamentals. Listen to people, find ways to add value, find ways to solve problems and remain humble. 
Um, another alum I spoke with said it's really important. I mean, I try to remain naturally humble where possible, but I think it's easy sometimes to lose sight of how you comport, comport yourself. And uh, an alum I spoke with from uh, Columbia gave me the lesson of just being really cognizant of how I carried myself coming into the, coming into the company, what I wore, how I spoke, just remaining humble at all times. Because again, you come into a family business as a member of any generation, but coming in as a fourth generation with my last name on the building, I was really focused on just trying to build relationships, showing people respect and learning so that I could uh, add value as, as quickly as possible. And I understand you and your brother almost did a, a listening tour of sorts. You, you were learning the business cold and you were coming in trying to win the respect and know what you were talking about. How did you go about that? How did you demonstrate that you were listening and, and build rapport with everyone that you spoke with? Sure. So I think that what, what you're alluding to is when our dad was elected state treasurer and was sworn in and moved on. And our, our dad had been involved in hiring virtually every single person in the organization, had done so much to build the organization you know, and bring it into the modern day. And what my brother and I wanted to do was work hard in our own way to foster an environment where different viewpoints are welcome, because we knew that if we, if we didn't uh, get people to speak up about what they thought about the business, we might not be able to uh, innovate. We might not be able to think as creatively as we wanted to because our only vantage point in the business is sort of what we see. We don't see what everyone else sees. So we actually decided to go on somewhat of a listening tour. There's a HR review process that some people use called Start, Stop, Continue, where you work to review someone in, in a company and you review them on what they should start doing to improve what they should stop doing uh, and what they should continue doing to reinforce positive behavior. And what uh, David and I decided to do was flip that on its head and ask every uh, colleague at the company to do a start, stop, continue review of Grossman Marketing Group. So what we actually did was a few months into our tenure as co-president after co-presidents after our dad had been sworn in as as state treasurer, we sent out a memo to every employee where we basically wrote to them that we want, over the next few weeks, we wanted to schedule in-depth one-on-one meetings with every single colleague. And what we said in the email, we said, whether you've been here one year or almost 40 years, you are each intimately involved with who we are, what we do, and how we do it and therefore each have unique perspective to bring to bear on these important strategic decisions. And we explain what the start, stop, continue review process is. So for example, start, we wanted people to highlight processes or procedures that they'd like to see us implement, good business practices that they've observed from clients or suppliers, or completely new business lines that they thought we should enter. So stop, uh, what we meant by that is we asked them to highlight ineffective or inefficient processes or procedures or bad business practices that the company did and continue. And we sort of joked in the email, we said with 101 years in the business, now it's 111. We said with 101 years in the business, there, there have to be some things that we do well that help to differentiate, differentiate us from the competition, exclamation point. And we explained that each conversation would be 100% confidential. It would just be that colleague and the two of us in a room. 
And we explained that once we had conducted all of the meetings, we would use their observations, comments, suggestions to help us craft a business plan for the company as we moved into our what was then our 102nd year and beyond. And what was just something that we, we drew from that is that some of the most beneficial ideas that came from people were from some folks you wouldn't, you, you sometimes would least expect it. You know, folks who worked in the warehouse or who ran a press or drove a truck, folks who see a different part of the business than we see every day and have incredibly valuable insight to bring, but maybe hadn't been engaged in that way before. And some of these folks came in with four or five pages of notes, handwritten, that they clearly had spent many hours thinking about. And we took so many actions, both kind of granular as well as larger and longer range strategic planning from those conversations. And what A, we wanted to take those conversations to improve our company, but we also wanted to send the message to our colleagues that we cared what they had to say, that we were listening, uh, we were open to improvement, and that they all had a place at the table. That's a terrific story. I love hearing very practical examples like that of, of how you've been able to come into a business and listen carefully, then, then take action and ultimately make a difference. And a great way for new leaders to build confidence, I think, in an organization as well. So I'm curious if there's anything that hasn't gone so well. Do you have any favorite failures or, or apparent failures over the years that have helped shape you or, or teach you some lessons whether it be in leadership or business, that have actually set you up for later success? Sure. So, you know, for us, again, the, what our, our main priority in the company is to, you know, what we've learned from our, uh, those who came before us, what were things about uh, values around cr- the critical need for mutually respectful fam- family relationships, Our grandfather and father used to tell us cautionary tales about business issues and turf wars ripping apart a family. One example I remember, I was pretty young, probably under 10 years old, and there was a pretty famous story of a family splitting apart. It was the uh, Berkowitz family who owned Legal Seafoods, which was a prominent restaurant chain here in the Boston area. And what ended up happening in that business was the patriarch of the family basically pitted his two sons against one another to run the company. And it ended up destroying the relationship. Uh, one of the sons was essentially tossed out of the business and the family you know, split apart. And what our grandfather and our father tried to impart into us is that although business was incredibly important, nothing in business was important enough to ever risk jeopardizing your family relationships. And you know, I, I can remember sitting with our dad when this story was breaking and being covered in the Boston Globe and our dad you know, ripping the articles out from the Globe and sitting down with my older brother and I explaining what had happened and why that could never happen in our family and why it should never happen in our family. And we're, we're really lucky that we're really lucky that the values that our grandparents kind of taught us about the importance of family have held true in our, in our company since then. I think another value that has been really important and imparted upon us is 
the importance of treating colleagues in a way that we'd want, like, like how we'd want family members to be treated in a workplace. Ultimately, we're a service-based organization and we depend on our colleagues to deliver every day. And our, our dad used to say that the most important asset in our company walked uh, in and out of the door uh, every single day, our people. And we've, you know, a, a, a story that my dad had, had, had told us over the years was of a colleague who came to our dad. She was a, a valued member of the team. And more than 30 years ago at this point, she and her husband were planning to adopt a child. And she came to my father and said, Steve, I hate to do this, but I have to tender my resignation. And my dad said, why would you possibly be resigning? You're such a valuable member of the team. And she told him, well, I'm, I'm adopting a child. And the adoption agency says I have to take six months off to be at home with the child for bonding. And you know, I won't be able to do my job for six months. And my dad said, not only, you know, without even checking with our grandfather, who he was running the business with at the time, because he knew they'd be on the same page. He said something like, not only am I not accepting your resignation, and not only will your job be here six months from now, but we're going to pay you 100 cents on the dollar for the six months that you are out. You know, there's been countless stories like that under during uh, my grandfather's our grandfather's time and and the time that our father ran the business. And my brother and I have tried to continue that that type of support of our colleagues because ultimately we want people to know that if they have a situation in their in their lives, the health situation or family situation, we have their back. And the last thing they need to worry about is their paycheck. And you know that that sort of value of just trying to treat people the way you'd want your family to be treated has been passed down from generation to generation. And it's something that we try very hard to live up to. It's 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 hard because you know it 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 certainly costs money to do and and people you know have 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 said to us sort of and has said to said to our dad before, how can you afford to do this? And sort of the answer to that is how can you afford not to? How can you afford not to invest in your colleagues? I love that. It's an extraordinary story and the sort of story that you typically only hear in family owned and run businesses, right? That are taking the long-term view and investing that way as well. You talked about some of the other uh, values and lessons that have been passed down throughout the generations. I wonder if there's any more that you want to share with us that have maybe helped shape your journey so far. Sure. One of the core values is just never, ever taking anything for granted. You know, the, that you need to be willing to adapt to ever-changing business environments and conditions. You know, regardless of how successful you are or your family has been over the years, you need to recognize that markets can change and that you must always remain responsive to customer needs. What I remember growing up was that my dad and grandfather and our grandmother and, and our aunts always talked about the customer and what differentiated the company was their incredible customer service. It's sort of like how now Zappos doesn't say they're a shoe company, that they say they're a service company. And that's really been a hallmark of this organization from the founding. From you know from its founding, and they, I, I just I feel I remember having them pull us aside and give us lessons on serving the customer, dealing with a you know dealing with a situation, a problem if it arose on a weekend, or on a Friday night, or whenever it happened. It was all about servicing customers and keeping them happy. And I don't know if I mentioned this uh, to you already, but you know we have on our wall 
in our in one of our conference rooms uh, an enlarged copy of a direct mail piece from the 1930s where the slogan on the bottom is quote our prices make friends our service keeps them and you know that value of having a service driven culture at all times and having a rel- relentless focus on the customer we try to stick to that today you're talking about service within the business quite a lot, but I understand the family is also big on service to the community. Is that a value that's passed down from generations or does it just so happen that there's been multiple members of the family that have been in public service and, and contributed in other ways? Sure. No, it's a, it's a great question. You know, as I mentioned that, you know, the, the last time our, our father saw his grandfather our great grandfather alive, he, he explained to our dad that he had only wanted to do four things have a healthy family, educate his children, own his own business, and give something back to the community. And the concept of never forgetting about the community in which you live, because ultimately, healthy communities, you have to invest back in them. When, as I, I mentioned to you earlier, our dad moved on from the company 10 years ago when he was elected to public office in Massachusetts, and he's remained engaged in public service full time. He's deeply passionate about economic justice, especially for those who have tougher access to it. And the lessons of public service have, have been passed down. One of our favorite sort of mementos in our company is a letter that the company sent out the day after Pearl Harbor. So Pearl Harbor was December 7th, 1941. And my brother and I came across a letter in the company archives that was dated December 8th, 1941. And the start of the letter says, Dear American, we are proud of the company we keep. It is a pleasure and privilege to announce at this time that our president and general manager, who at the time was uh, my great-grandfather, Max, has been appointed by the President of the United States to serve full-time in Washington in the Office of Price Administration at a dollar a year. Our treasurer, Edgar Grossman, my, my grandfather, will also serve his country by joining the armed forces of the nation on January 1. And the letter ends, quote, our company will serve you as we are serving our country. And when our father, Steve, was sworn in as state treasurer of Massachusetts, my brother and I decided to send a letter to everyone in our database, all of our our customers, all of our suppliers, all of our business partners, and anyone who'd ever been associated or affiliated with our business. And we sent a cover letter and we attached a copy of that letter from 1941. And we started the letter. We said, dear friends, as we were in 1941, we are still proud of the company we keep. And we explained the context about our, our, our great grandfather moving on uh, to become a dollar a year man under President Franklin uh, Roosevelt and the Office of Price Administration. And we explained uh, the commitment to public service and uh, about how our father was, we were quite proud of him, but how he was moving on uh, to be state treasurer and proud that, you know, he was overwhelmingly supported both across across party lines, which is a nice change these days. And at the end of the, the letter, we wrote the following. As Max Grossman did 70 years ago, our father is leaving the company in our hands, those of his two sons. We pledge to you as brothers and partners that we will continue to service your needs as we have for over 100 years while doing our part for our community, both locally and nationally. 
Thank you for your business and for the trust you have placed in our organization for so many years. Sincerely yours, David and Ben Grossman. That commitment to public service is a, is a four-generation uh, commitment going back to our great-grandfather, moving on from the business. And he never came back to the business. He left and he, what he did in the Office of the Price Administration is he worked for the economist uh, John Kenneth Galbraith. And our, our great-grandfather was responsible for paper rationing across the country, you know, leveraging some of his expertise from the industry and a number of business leaders from across the country. That's how they could serve because they were too old to you know, serve abroad, but they wanted to be able to take their skills. And he eventually, and he continued to serve in a number of different capacities for uh, another uh, more than 20 years until he passed away in 1963. But then, you know, our grandfather and his brother, Jerry, who was uh, incredibly active in public service, uh, nuclear disarmament was one of the causes of his life. My grandmother, quite active in the community. Um, Our dad, Steve, as I've talked about, our two aunts, Amy and Mary Ellen. Our mother, who I haven't talked about yet, Barbara, who is a professor at Tufts University and has been quite active in a number of uh, incredibly meaningful organizations and has taught us so much about how to, you know, serve, serve your community through education, uh, how to serve uh, the community in, in, in other capacities as well. And then it's been passed down to my brother and I, and we try our best. It's, it's hard to balance the business and we have young families and trying to be active in the community. But we also know that it's our responsibility to invest uh, back into the community that's given us so much. I think it's an extraordinary contribution that your family have made and continue to make. And you seem to know your history so well and in so much detail. Has the family been quite intentional about passing down its stories or documenting its history in a specific way that helps the fourth generation and what will ultimately be the fifth generation understand its roots and and understand its values and where it's come from? Sure. So I think a, a lot of what we, has been passed down has been more kind of verbal stories. I mean, we do have a number of uh, really quite meaningful mementos uh, from the company archives. It's been really enlightening to see some of the ways that the company used to market itself in the 20s and 30s. You know, our, our great grandfather was not an educated man, but he just was naturally a fantastic salesperson and marketer. And some of the pieces of direct mail that they sent out back then were quite innovative. Our favorite one is a mailing that was from the 1930s that we came across an advertisement for what was then Massachusetts Envelope Company that they sent out during the Great Depression. And it shows a worker, a factory worker, shaking hands with what looked like a businessman in a tie. And Essentially, and and what 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 the slogan it said, sales mean jobs. And at the end of the day, that says everything. Without sales, without revenue, without our team's constant hard work, we won't succeed and be able to ensure the livelihoods of dozens and dozens of families who are connected to our company. I'd love to turn now to the future. You're the young generation, the fourth generation taking the helm of the business. Where are you driving it now to continue? this amazing story, 111 years so far. What's next? How do you pivot and evolve a marketing group like yours into this 21st century and beyond? 
Sure. No, it's a, it's a great question. I'd say the most meaningful investment that we've made during the time that, that I've been at the company, other than in our people, of course, has been in expanding into e-commerce. Uh, we invested in a company back in 2008 that was a real leader in uh, e-commerce services uh, for larger companies. And that investment has helped to supercharge our growth. And we have, and that it also helped to teach us how M&A, small, sort of small, medium-sized business acquisition, if done right, can help us grow. And during the time that my brother and I have been at the company, uh, we've now made seven acquisitions in full and two other strategic investments. Um, some have added to our capabilities in e-commerce. Some have gotten us into other, other regions. Uh, some have been acquihires, bringing on talent. Uh, some have been uh, situations where, where owners wanted to take, take a little money off the table and uh, take a step back, remain in, engaged. Some wanted to retire. Uh, the one of those first comps, first acquisitions we made, I had a lunch introduction with the owner, and I sat with her, and she looked me in the eye and said, "Ben, I, two, there are two things that matter to me: to find a potential partner, I want to protect my people, and I want to protect my legacy." And I looked at her across the table. I'd I'd already reviewed the financials, and I looked at her across the table and said, "You have my word that if you partner with us." both will be protected. And the transaction was quite successful. And again, the way in which we approach all of those M&A conversations, it's kind of similar to how we try to run our business, how we, aspir- how we aspire to, to be in terms of being good listeners, keeping our promises, doing the work, sticking to the work. And it's almost like chopping wood every day and sticking to it. And you know, no two deals are alike. Uh, every situation is a little bit different. Every priority of a prospective seller is different. But ultimately, the values that we try to bring, you know, just of looking after our colleagues and trying to innovate and providing a good home for people and trying to be listeners to, to people, it's created an environment where we've seen a number of, of, of amazing opportunities uh, present themselves. And we've started to see quite a bit more deal flow in, you know, in, in the space because of the reputation. We, we're pretty open book about it. When we meet with a prospective seller, we offer to connect them, if they'd like, with any one of the folks that we've uh, done a transaction with. We don't have to be on that conversation. They can, they can have a one-to-one conversation to hear what their experience was like working with us. And you can immediately see when we, ha- when we say that, that they relax more, that they feel like we're being transparent uh, with them, and that um, you know we have nothing to hide because we we don't. And you know, ultimately, between making strategic investments, acquisitions, looking at ways that we can continue to add value to our clients uh, in ancillary uh, businesses that we operate in, like I said, e-commerce uh, has been a fantastic growth area for our business. And we expect it only to continue to be more and more of a part of our business. You know, ultimately, we have to be willing to evolve because if we don't evolve, we will get left behind. And do you anticipate that there's going to be a fifth generation in the family business? Are you uh, nurturing your children to consider it as a career opportunity or are you leaving that up to them to find their own path? 
we we don't know. It's a four it's a fourth generation business. You know, right now my brother Dave and I run it. We have a younger brother Josh who best best student among us. He has had amazing opportunities. He's uh, has a fantastic career. He hasn't been interested in joining the business. So most likely it's going to be my brother and I over time in the company. In theory, there could be a fifth generation. It's a little hard to know. You know, our our grandfather Edgar and um, you know of blessed memory and our grandmother Shirley, who we're so fortunate, you know, has um, is, is alive and well and doing great. They they had a philosophy where they said to the, said to their kids, you know, the business is always going to be here as an opportunity. If you want to come into the business and want to work hard, the business opportunity is there. But you should go do what your heart tells you to do. You should follow whatever your career path is and whatever you do, as long as it's something meaningful and productive, you know, sort of like mom and I will be supportive. That's sort of a quote from our grandfather, Edgar. And I think my brother and I plan to tell our children the same, the same way that we were told by our parents, follow our passions in life to not let financial implications dictate what you do in your life. I mean, it's, it's no coincidence that both my brother and I chose to come back into the business as we viewed it as an opportunity to be entrepreneurial, you know, while also building on a multi-generational family legacy. And we know we're the great beneficiaries of some uh, visionary business people and, you know, who gave us this platform and tried to har- and we've tried to harness that to build on that legacy. So ultimately, we subscribe to that same philosophy that um, our grandparents had that, you know, you should follow your passion and do what you want to do. And if that is to go into research or to be a teacher or to go into music or to, or law or something else, that's wonderful. We just want our kids to be happy and, and, and healthy. And ultimately, if my daughter Madeline or my son Jack eventually, you know, eventually join me somehow working, that would be the honor of, uh, of a lifetime and a privilege. But I'm I'm certainly not going to put pressure on them to to do that. I want them to follow their passion. Great answer. I'm I'm curious from a family governance perspective, are the are the values that are passed down all channeled uh, in terms of the company values and what you stand for and the contribution to community, or are they also documented in uh, a family constitution or a charter or any sort of formal documents that bring together the business of family? We don't have any formal documents like that. It's mainly just sort of what we're taught. I mean, we, you know, pre-COVID, we, we came together. We had a number of family gatherings over the years where we've tried to learn. And, and our, you know, those who've come before us have tried to teach us the right values. And we give so much credit to, you know, our parents for the values they've taught us and for, and for our grand, our grandparents, and even earlier, and our you know our, our aunts and uncles, you know, without the lessons that they've taught us, which we've tried our best to internalize, we wouldn't have been able to get this far. But there is not a sort of formal family constitution. I'll tell you what I try to do with my kids is when my daughter was uh, just born, I set up an email address that she now knows exists. But she does. She knows does not have access to it. And I created a similar one for my son when he was born. And my wife and I have tried to, when when we remember to do it, and when we have the 
the time, uh, send them letters, uh, which hopefully when they're older and mature enough to appreciate them, will give them access to and, and share. Again, it's not really business related. It's more just, you know, how much we love them and the joy of being their parents and some of the meaningful experiences that we've had. That's beautiful. I love that. And we do a, a, a similar activity every year. I think it's incredibly powerful, even as a tool of reflection, not just the message that you're sending to children. Absolutely. On that note, Ben, it's time for our final question. And uh, it, it's one that you will have heard me ask all of the previous guests. Imagine you're writing a letter to your children. What is one lesson or idea that you don't think many parents would mention, but you consider important to understand? So there's a, a Mark Twain quote, which my parents have shared with uh, us before. The quote is, always do right. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. And running the company during the last decade that's been bookended by the Great Recession and a global pandemic. You know, I've realized the importance of adaptability and resilience. Uh, my brother and I have learned that, but not to the exclusion of one's empathy and humanity. You know, we understand to the core of who we are, you know, that we're responsible for the lives and livelihoods of, of so many. So, you know, that, that, that quote of always do right, this will gratify some people and astonish the rest. It's, it's really simple. It's sort of like the golden rule. I mean, you want to treat people the way you want to be treated, but, you know, at the, if you, if you do right, it's the best you can do and results will kind of speak for themselves and it'll all sort of work out over time. It's a great lesson. Ben, thank you again for being here and sharing your incredible story. You're building on such a legacy and I can't wait to see where it goes next. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure getting the chance to speak with you today. To find more episodes of the Business of Family podcast, go to businessoffamily.net. You can also sign up for my email list at businessoffamily.net forward slash newsletter. After you sign up, you'll receive immediate access to all past issues and then one email per week. You can also follow me on Twitter using at Mike Boyd. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend or leave a quick review on iTunes, which will help more people discover the business of family. Thank you so much for listening. Music.